You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Thank you for having us on. And listen, I must be honest with the world here. There's a lot going on here in South Carolina. We got roofers up top, so there might be some banging and clanging. I'm feeling a little bit rotten this week. But we're going to battle through it all. So if I start coughing or whatever, just battle through it like we're going to do. As we introduce the panel this week, let's get right to it. First, he's Mr. No Gray Area. He's Mr. Hot Take, the co-host of No Bets Barred, the man behind Dan They Were Good, and so much more. He's the wonderful Jed Mishu. Hello, Jed. Happy Thursday, buddy. Happy Thursday. Uh, damn, I'm tired. We have another damn coming out on Monday. So that is back-to-back weeks with damn. Uh, it's been a lot. And and my opponent this week was on that damn. So I've talked to him a lot this week already. And I have a feeling that what this damn is about is something we're going to talk about on the program this week and returning to the show which i'm very excited about the traveling man for mmafighting.com he's our boots on the ground all the time my fellow new englander loves the boston red Sox, mr jose youngs how you doing man socks just aren't doing that hot right now no the only thing that's gonna that's worse than the red Sox right now is my physical well-being because i am exhausted <laughs> about to like a couple days away from flying to sydney too so it doesn't stop here at MMA fighting. are y'all no, excited about today's episode mike's sick jose's exhausted <laughs> i'm not in like the best spot it's gonna be a great one boys Yes, this is, I mean, this is what the sport's all about. This is the championship rounds here. We just got to get off the stool and battle through it. And let's just get into it. Let's start with last weekend. Let's start with what you two probably talked about for a couple of hours. We had UFC Singapore. And with that, we saw the final fight of the career of the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung. He comes out in round three against Max Holloway. It's a pretty fun fight through two rounds. And essentially said... Hey, it's it's get or get got time. Zombie unfortunately got got. Then he announces retirement and the 
pop and circumstance around it. It was, it was an incredible moment, which we'll dive into a little bit more in depth in a little bit. But we kind of expected this to happen, but a lot of reflection on Zombie's career, Jose, since Saturday, because a lot of talk about some of the great moments, the great fights, him missing sort of the prime of his career due to mandatory military service. What did his run mean to you, Jose, as a fan, as someone who works in the space? And what is ultimately Zombie's legacy in your eyes? Well, you kind of brought brought it up at the beginning. I think Jed and how long was the episode, Jed? Like two and a half hours of the Korean zombie yeah. talk on this upcoming yep. damned. So I if you want my like long-winded answer to what the Korean zombie meant to mixed martial arts, you can go watch that because I talk a lot about the Korean zombie because he is my all-time favorite fighter. He's also involved in my all-time favorite fight against Dustin Poirier. So the way I wrapped it up, uh, the episode was the Korean zombie is the not a good quote unquote prize fighter in the fact that no one's going to, there's not people lining up to pay to watch him win or lose. Like, you know, the Chael Sutton's, the, the Conor McGregor's, the Ian Gary's of the world where they can sell you a fight on the mic and then they can sometimes deliver more, most, most, more often than not, they deliver in the octagon. The Korean zombie didn't even need to speak English. You just tuned in to watch him either kill a man or get killed or just kind of put each other through the wood chipper. The man is never in a bad fight. The man was appointment television. The Korean zombie ran so Justin Gaethje could fly. He was the original all-action fighter. He is one of the top five most exciting fighters that has ever lived. I'm not saying dominant because obviously John Jones watching him fight is exciting. Watching Anderson Silva fight is exciting because they're highlight reels and they're so dominant, but he fits the mold of a Justin Gaethje, uh, a, a Robbie Lawler, a Carlos Condit, where it doesn't matter who they fight. It's going to be unbelievable. And the fact that he essentially, he beat Mark Hominick in seven seconds. And then from that point on, it was main events for the rest of his career, either pay-per-view or fight night. He was the guy that the UFC turned to to fight anyone in the top five, and he was going to win a bonus, or he was going to fall asleep after getting his clock clean. So the Korean Zombie is the original all-action fighter. I think 10 years from now, his, his, his career is going to be viewed as underappreciated because he never won the title because uh, fighters like Conda and Robbie Lawler, they at least won interim titles or you know undisputed titles in Robbie Lawler's case. Korean Zombie had two opportunities to do that. He just happened to fight the two greatest featherweights of all time in Jose Aldo and Alex Volkanovsky, and then he lost to, again, one of the greatest featherweights of all time in Max Holloway. So if not for anything, the longevity of being in the top five of, of the featherweight division is more than admirable. He is... Again, top five most exciting fighters, minute for minute, that has ever existed. And what he's done for my career, not in terms of where I'm at in MMA media, but just as a fan, I can't say enough positive things about him. That's why he's my all-time favorite fighter. He ran so Justin Gaethje could fly. I love that. Love that so much. Jed, I, look, you just ran a show about this that's going to drop on Monday. So the Cliff Notes version of... Zombie's career, what he meant to you as a fan, even before you got into the space, since you've been in the space, and what you believe ultimately is his legacy now that he's stepping away. So the Cliff Notes version is, and I talked about this on the show, obviously, uh, he did not mean as much to me as he did to 
uh, the other people on the show and to a lot of people. Uh, I always appreciated and enjoyed Zombie, but you know, Jose Aldo is one of my favorite fighters of all time, and you can't really have multiple favorite fighters in the same weight class. It just sort of doesn't work <laughs> like that. Um, and so it's he he didn't have the uh, that same sort of pull to me as he did for everybody else or for a lot of other people. But nobody nobody has a bad thing to say about him and him and with Robbie Lawler retiring like a month ago or whatever uh I've been sort of grappling with this idea of their legacies and I think they're different Lawler won the belt uh and that broadly speaking makes a huge amount of difference right this is zombie did never win the belt and as Jose said he fought the two best featherweights of all time in his in his chances so you know don't knock him too hard for that He's a career that makes me reconsider the term greatness and what it means and and sort of how we approach fist fighting because – and I said this with the Robbie Lawler and it, again, I've just been kind of forced to reconsider it uh, with Zombie because I, objectively speaking, he's not even a top five all-time featherweight. Like I, I don't think that's ridiculous to, to make that claim but who – like how many fighters w had a more meaningful career? Maybe they didn't get the wins and losses and, you know, get the belts, but how many fighters affected more people's lives than Korean Zombie? And it's, it's a short damn list. Like I, I don't know whose career I would rather have. Would I rather have uh, Max Holloway's career? Probably. Would I rather have chad mendez's career not a chance in hell give me zombies career over chad mendez all day long and i think chad mendez is demonstrably a better featherweight historically speaking and so to me that's the the big things i took away particularly the deep dive which was really great was like one his 2011 was unbelievable <laughs> like in hindsight he had a stretch where he had what probably actually should have been the fight of the year. We make the case against Leonard Garcia, uh, the George Roop awkwardness. Uh, and then the Leonard Garcia, his UFC debut is a twister, a seven second knockout of Mark Hominick. And then the fight of the year against Dustin Poirier. Like there's just like nobody has a three or five fight run like that. Like this is, he's one of like two dudes ever who have had multiple, like multiple fight of the year, like very reasonable contenders. So uh, gonna miss him. I think his exit was tremendous. Uh, I cried um, on the walkout. Like you know, got and and again, he didn't mean that much to me, but it was still like an emotionally affecting thing to watch this dude exit the cage with you know fifteen thousand people singing "Zombie" to him. Like that's that shit. It doesn't happen for almost anybody, and to me, that should tell you more about him than than anything else. Yeah, it was super cool. And, and I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in that because this the way this year started with retirements, Jed, was pretty sad because we watched poor Shogun Hua just get iced by a guy that, that this year? sort of Jesus. danced over his green danced over his grave, essentially. But then it's kind of turned. We got Amanda Nunes, we got Robbie Lawler. I thought Ed Herman and Zach Cummings had a great retirement. You know, we've had some bad ones, and we mentioned the the Shogun one, but where does the zombie retirement rank? Because yes, he went out on his shield in zombie-esque fashion, but it was also a pretty nasty knockout and then got celebrated as such at the end. Like where does this one rank to you compared to the Lawler one, the Nunes one, and, and some of the other ones we've seen over the last couple of years? 
number two. I think it's behind only Lawler. Um, I'm willing to hear arguments, you know, and uh, certainly the idea of going out on top like Nunes does, that's that's very appealing. But that was just a weird retirement in a lot of spots, in part because Manny Nunes is kind of a weird person. But, like, we didn't know that was coming. We didn't really even have, an, like, there were maybe some rumblings, but it wasn't, like, it, it, it. that did not feel like a moment. When I look back on this year, I will not look back on Amanda Nunez's retirement as an event that happened so much as it is uh, a fact of life. Like, oh, that's the year Amanda Nunez stopped fighting. Not, hey, you remember the retirement after the Arena Aldana fight that wasn't all that memorable? Like, it, it's just not the same. Uh, I think there are parts of Zombie's retirement that were better than than Lawler's. Um, and... Again, he didn't get the win, and I think a lot of people reflexively knocked that, but the win kind of doesn't matter um, because he went out in like the most zombie fashion of like possible, which which makes it fitting. Like it fits in a really clean way that it, it doesn't matter to me whether he wins or loses in that fight. Frankly, in the way that a lot of his career was at. Like, I don't really care if he wins or loses. I care that he does dope stuff and that it's incredibly fun and captivating to watch and him sitting on the stool after the second round where he should have been finished where max max got too nice and zombie zombied his way through it and his corner trying to tell him like all right we gotta do this and you could just see him be like man i've lost so i'm gonna go out on my sword and that's what he did and he just came out and was like all right max let's do it let's let's see what happens right here right now it was incredibly fitting and you get the whole the walk out was incredible like because you could see him soaking it up it felt like a moment and then the exit was one of the five best moments of the year so i i think it's number two i feel pretty confident confident with that jose what was it like for you to to watch this all play out the walk the fight the way it ended and then the announcements leaving the gloves the way he bowed before the gloves and then just leaving with 15, 20,000 people singing his song, singing Zombie on the way out. Like for you, as someone who reveres Zombie maybe more than anybody that I know, what was that all like for you? And where do you rank this sort of last fight, last hurrah of his career with, with how everything played out? It was a good, it was, it was top five retirements in MMA. It, the only thing better that, for this retirement would have been as if he won. And and I don't really, when zombie fights, I can separate myself. Like I, I knew that I, I knew Max Hyle was probably going to win. I knew Alex Volkanovsky was probably going to win. I don't, I can remove the fandom when he fights and kind of watch it unbiasedly. And after the fight, we, we kind of knew what was coming because after he, he lost to Volkanovsky, the fight that you and I were at, I was about 10 feet away uh, from when, you know, Alex Volkanovsky was asking, like, do you want to keep going, like, in the middle of the fight because he was putting such a hurt on uh, the Korean zombie? After that, he said, you know, if I'm not going to be the champion, then maybe it's time to hang it up. I have a lot to self-reflection. And then when when Max called him out, I, I assumed that zombie would take the fight because that's a fight he's always wanted. Uh, Max Holloway even said, like, you know, I fought everyone from my generation except for him. Uh, even the press conference without Volkanovski zombie says, if I beat Volkanovski, the first guy I want to fight is Max Holloway because we've never fought. And when they made that matchup, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be sad. This is going to be that. And it wasn't, it wasn't that it wasn't the Volkanovski fight. Like he tried to be zombie. He just, his body failed him. 
the 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 ability to fight through pain which i talked about on on the damned episode is kind of what separated zombie from his peers it's he might have been knocked out but his body went into autopilot his body just couldn't do that anymore and that just catches up with you so the second that he got knocked out i was actually on the train coming from new york back to providence back east and i watched it and it happened and i was like I mean, that's it. He's going to retire. It's going to be a beautiful moment. And then exactly, it played out exactly like it, it did. So I'm not happy or sad. I just, I think it was the right time. I think a lot of fighters hang on a little too long. You know, maybe they go into bare knuckle or boxing or they get cut and they go somewhere else. I wasn't afraid of zombie getting cut and fighting anywhere else. I just, the second he got knocked out, I was, he retired and it was, it was the perfect moment, perfect. If obviously it was in Seoul, it would have been more perfect. But, you know, the fact that he got to do it in a, a crowd in Asia against Max Holloway, guys always wanted to fight that reveres him just as much as everyone else. I agree with what Jed said. Top five, probably top two. I put Lawler's over it. You know, he got that video package. That was real nice. So, yeah, uh, but beautiful moment all around. Yeah, I, I thought the commentators did a great job, like letting these moments breathe. Mm-hmm. I, I think just everything about these have just gotten much better. And, uh, you know, having it with Max Holloway, and I, I think Max would agree, like, we should start this round talking about Zombie and what he meant. And I talked a lot about him on the post fight show. And you'll hear more from these guys more in depth on Zombie's career when the damn episode drops on Monday. But Max Holloway is a part of this fight as well, Jose. He comes away with. Another win. He gets a brutal finish. His first finish in quite some time. First since the Brian Ortega fight. And there's just a lot of fun options for Max Holloway after this win. There are people who have called in a heck of a morning this week saying, why not just run it back with Volkanovsky for a fourth time? Personally, not really a fan of that idea. Dana White said, not a fan of that idea. But what would you like to see next for Max? Stay at 45 try to knock off a contender there, maybe go up for some fun ones at 55. Like, what do you think? I want to see him go up to 155 solely because I think Ilya Sporia should be fighting Volkanovsky. Um, I think Volkanovsky is in agreement. Like he even says, Hey, Hey Ilya, don't fight max because I need contenders and I want to stay active. So in this, in this world, I'm going to assume Ilya fights Alex Volkanovsky. And then I don't want, unless Max wants to, wants to wait. And then if Ilya wins, if Ilya wins, they're going to give Volkanovsky the rematch, maybe in Spain. So that's even a longer of a wait. So in the meantime, I don't want him to knock off any other featherweights on the rise. So I would, I wouldn't hate seeing him go up to 155, just, you know, Justin Gaethje needs a dance partner for that BMF title. I know he wants to fight for the lightweight championship. So if that doesn't happen, maybe we could get, if Charles loses to Islam, we could get Charles Max rematch at 155. If Connor doesn't end up ever fighting ever again, you could do Michael Chandler versus Max Holloway. You could do Dustin Poirier, Max Holloway three. I know the first Poirier has is two Oh on him, but both with the second fight, the only reason we don't talk about it more is because the fight before it was Israel Adesanya versus Kelvin Gastelum, uh, which is you know one of the greatest fights you will ever see. So in the meantime, I would like to see him fight a lightweight in these you know exciting fights that maybe don't have title implications, but they're just fun and, and legacy fights and big money fights fights for Max while the while the featherweight division plays out and if he wants to at the end of it if his body can handle it maybe he drops back down to featherweight for one final run especially if Volkanovski is not the champion but there are just a lot of fun fights of 155 I want to see Max Holloway take Jay what do you think because I think if we if we had our druthers it's a dream fight 
Max Holloway versus Justin Gaethje, but Gaethje obviously wants to cement his legacy and get his chance at the undisputed title against the winner of Islam Makachev, Charles Oliveira. But there's just so many fun fights for Max right now, and people are still screaming at this point, like, let's do Max versus Ilya right now. Like, no title fight. Let's just do Max versus Ilya. And I couldn't dislike that idea more right now. Not saying I don't like the fight, but the timing of it just makes no sense. Let Ilya fight for the belt. But what are we doing here with Max Holloway if you had your druthers? What do you think realistically happens here? Yeah, those people are morons if they're asking for that fight. That's just a very, very dumb fight. Uh, what happens? I'm not. I honestly don't know. I could see a lot of things. If I had my druthers, and I think the thing that would make the most sense to me, and maybe the UFC can't come out and say this for reasons that will become clear in just a moment, but uh, Jose nailed it. I've been saying this for weeks now uh, because we all thought Max going to win this fight. Um, Charles Oliveira is about to get dusted up a second time by Islam Makachev. And once that's done, uh, they should rematch. And I'm calling it a rematch. Really be the first time they fought because the first fight was super weird, right? Like, you know, we were all very excited about that fight. And then it, it, it ended oddly. And that's just where that was. So like, yeah, uh, go with that one. That's, I think that's the most obvious one to me. Let's get, an, let's like, get a result that yeah. isn't an esophagus injury or whatever the shit happened in that super weird fight. A fight would be incredibly fun. Let's do that. I love that idea. Again, there's just so many fun options. If Aljo wants to move to 145, I like that idea. We'll see what happens with Max Holloway. The dude is just, yeah, dude just continuing to put on fun what's fight after Barbosa fun fight. What's Edson Barbosa doing? Like, he's booked. What's who's he fighting? He's booked. This is your job. I don't, is he fighting I don't know Sadiq? He's fighting Sadiq Yusuf, is he not? Well, I, I don't know. Um, I, I believe that's I'd watch fight. him fight Edson. Uh, if he wants to go up and like, I don't know, what's does Armin have a fight? I'd watch him fight Armin. Ar- Armin is fighting. Uh, he, he just had. He just got a fight. Did he not? Again, he, I, nothing's I, been I announced. I am really bad at this. Edson is fighting Fazeev. Is Fazeev fighting somebody? Watch the shit Fazeev out of Fazeev. Fazeev is fighting Gamrot. Fighting Gamrot in like two weeks. Uh, 23rd. Okay. After that, that's fine. All right. You See, just, just match him up on. against – it's Max Holloway. It's not going to be boring. I just don't have any interest in him fighting like the dregs at featherweight again. Like we're, we're past that with him. Do fun stuff. Yeah. Let's make a wheel with all exciting names and Max just goes up and spins a wheel in front of a crowd and wherever he lands on, that's who he fights next. Let's have some fun with this. So uh, let us move on to another big story coming out of UFC Singapore. The point for round one goes to... I mean, if we have a zombie question and don't give it to Jose, then I'm a terrible host. Jose gets the point and... He kind of nailed it with the zombie. The, the zombie ran so Gaethje could fly line is just incredible stuff. So, Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next? Last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Let's go to the other more fascinating storyline. Like I understand that the co-main event was Anthony Smith beating Ryan Spam. We're not going to talk about that right now. We're going to talk about what happened in the second main card fight. 
Aaron Blanchfield, toughest test to date against Tyler <clears throat> Santos, had as a tough first round. She got dinged up pretty good, but she battles back. She wins the last two rounds. There's no controversy. It's a grimy, gritty decision win. But Jed, a lot of people picking this performance apart because Blanchfield didn't go out and completely just dust Tyler Santos in Singapore. So as someone who is very high, you may be higher on Aaron Blanchfield than anybody else. How do you grade this performance and your reaction to the backlash of this all? Uh, I grade this performance a B plus, right? Like she won, which is the most important thing. I don't think there it was controversial. Uh, I Look, she had a hard fight, but I think I was talking about this with Guy uh, in Slack like during the event and afterwards. I think Tyler Santos, uh, no one's ever going to give her the credit because she is not like a captivating mic presence and not a captivating fighter either. She's just like the Hafela Sunsau of women's flyweight. She's impossible to look good against and going to beat a lot of people. Uh, and I kind of knew coming in, and I talked about it on the preview show, that like this is the exact sort of good test for Blanchfield because as high as I am on Blanchfield – a lot of her success has been predicated on the fact that she is just a superior athlete to everyone that she has fought. And Tyler Santos is a hoss. Like she, <laughs> and that's, that's a lot of how that fight played out is Blanchfield couldn't just throw her to the floor willy nilly. And Santos is extremely physically strong, very competent in all areas and just sort of held up under the pressure for a while. Um, I also talked about this beforehand and it felt much more stark afterwards. This should have been five rounds. I don't think anyone would be critiquing this fight if it were five rounds because the texture of that bout was pretty clearly going Blanchfield's way. She could continue the pace they were fighting and Santos could not have done it for another two rounds. And so you didn't set Blanchfield up for success because every three-round fight is just more chaotic there is more opportunity for somebody to succeed because three 15 minutes is not a lot of fight time um i think look you can't call this her best performance it's not but against you know one of the three or four best women in the weight class she convincingly won and in a five-round fight i feel like she would have won more convincingly I have no issues who you show me the woman who looks good against Tyler Santos and then I will start really docking points from Aaron Blanchfield but until somebody does it because it ain't never been done you just have to say yeah th that's a fight where we respect Tyler Santos more not we start saying Aaron Blanchfield just doesn't have it Jose what, what did you think of the performance and sort of the the negative backlash here, I'm, I was I was pretty surprised because I even tweeted out, she's only 24, so she's going to get ridiculously better than she is right now, and she's already pretty damn good. And everyone's just like, eh, wasn't that impressed by this. What did you think of her performance and, and just kind of the negativity behind it, which I'm kind of surprised about? I'm obviously – I'm not down on the fight or the performance because like we all said, like she got dinged up pretty bad. Uh, against Tyler early and then adapted and won and that being able to adapt in the octagon uh, after especially losing the first round is something that champions need that does separate kind of the upper echelon from the people that are just really really good uh, so there were a lot of there are obviously a lot of questions with Aaron Blanchfield like what would she do if she fought someone that was you know incredibly strong and athletic and a good grappler and durable 
what would she do if she you know she starts down on the on the scorecards like early on because obviously the Molly McCann fight she just kind of tore through it Jessica Andrade was uh she watched Jessica Andrade and JJ Aldridge looked obviously great on that card earlier on uh in Singapore but she kind of tore through her too so I had a, I always I feel like in MMA fighting I'm always the last one on the bus in terms of hype the hype trains and I always have questions for all these guys that everyone says oh future champion future champion and I always say well I have questions that I need answered I had a lot of questions about Aaron Blanchfield and she answered enough uh in Singapore I'm not saying she's gonna go out there and just melt Alexa Grasso or Valentina right now but now I know she has the ability to fight back. It was not the most aesthetically pleasing fight. If Rose or Man and Pharrell go out there and just head kick the other one, I'm going to assume they leapfrog Aaron Blanchfield. Uh, but she won. Uh, if anything, she maintains her spot. And at worst, she's one more win away from a title shot. Or if Rose and Manon is just not a good fight, uh, if it's another Carlos Barza Rose fight, then maybe she gets the title shot, especially if Alexa wins and Valentina's down 0-2. Because, again, the champion also mentioned uh, Aaron Blanchfield in an interview with Guillermo Cruz on our site. So anytime the champion is mentioning your name, that's always a good thing. So at worst, she's one more win away. At best, she gets a title shot. So not a bad place to be if you're Aaron Blanchfield. We'll dive more into Chapter 2 of this three-chapter sort of mini Grand Prix at 125 in a minute. But, Jose, I want to go back to you. Let's just say, for the sake of this discussion, let's say the fight between Fiora and Rose is not happening. Let's just say this fight is not on the books. Coming out of this win and what you saw on Saturday, are you confident throwing Blanchfield into a title fight right now? Or at 24 years of age, would you like to see another one before getting to that place? Maybe a Macy Barber seems to be a popular name that comes up. Would you like to see her fight one more time? Or are you just like, you know what, this performance is enough. I'm ready to just chuck her into a title fight and let's just see what happens. You're saying if Rose Manon doesn't happen? Let's just say that fight does not exist. Like it just, if this is the fight and then the title fights are two weeks. Then it has to, if if Valentina loses, it would have to be Aaron. Because like there's literally no one else. Like if in this perfect world that like now I'm not saying it's perfect world, but like in this world where this doesn't exist, I'm just gonna say the meritocracy exists, and she's currently ranked one, if not two, in the UFC's rankings. So the only one two above her would be Valentina and Alexa Grasso, and Alexa Grasso is currently number one pound for pound in all of women's MMA on the UFC on the UFC's ranking. Just because a man Nunes retired and she beat Valentina. If Valentina wins, they'll probably do the trilogy fight. If Valentina loses, then it's Aaron. Like it has, she's literally the only one left. I think Macy Barber is still a win or two away, especially if Macy Barber fights, uh, like you know, a Lauren Murphy or a or a Jennifer Maya type fighter. I just not right. I I think the time is now, especially if. If, if Valentina loses, the time is now for Aaron Blanchfield. I think especially she's from New York. They're going to go to New York next year at least two times. It just makes sense. Are you with that, Jed? Just let's just go. Even What if Valentina wins? Do you just run it right back or do you give Blanchfield her shot first? I think if Valentina wins, they probably won't run it right back because Valentina was probably winning the fight before she got submitted. And so – they just don't have to. Uh, that's why I hate immediate rematches. Don't think Valentina should have gotten one. But, you know, that's I'm, I've been on that soapbox, soapbox enough in my life. 
But yeah, if she wins, they're going to assume that that is a historical correction and not rivalry. Uh, if there's nobody else, then they would be like, all right, let's do Grosso 3. But there are. There will be other options. So I think regardless of the winner, we are going to get a new title fight. Um, if Rose probably – if Rose wins this weekend, probably going to do it. But I've, I've been saying it, man. Just Aaron Blanchfield's the future and everyone with eyeballs knows it. Like just just put her in there. Like let's – we – it's not the worst thing if it doesn't happen, right? But like I – I went through this exact same thing with Habib and we all did where we lived in this world of like, well, there are people that make more sense than him fighting for the belt right now and injuries and layoffs and like, sure. And that's fine. But at the end of the day, we all know, we all have eyeballs. We know who the best guy is. Let's just put the freaking belt on him. However, we have to bootstrap it and make it happen because it's better for him to be here at the top now than what happened with Habib? It took him three extra years to get to the belt, and then he only had three title defenses, and the UFC couldn't market that. If I'm the UFC, I'm looking at Aaron Blanchfield and saying, that's the future, but now, now is the time. We should make it happen, or else this is a weird sport. Shit can go wrong. Anything can happen, and you can lose out on a chance to have a 24-year-old champion who is very likely to hold the belt for years and become a marketable star. Well, let's uh, discuss the next half of this, you know, contender equation in round three. Let's talk about the the two big fights for UFC Paris. Point for round two goes to. Jed Mishu. It's one to one. Let's head to Paris. Let's head to Paris and let's start with the 125 pound conversation because this fight, at least in my eyes, from what I've seen, getting the most buzz is Manon Fioro facing the former strawweight champion, Rose Namajunas. Thug Rose making the move up to 125 after a long career at 115. Jose, I'll begin with you. Thoughts on the move up here for Rose Namajunas and this fight with Manon Fioro. First fight since losing the strawweight title to Carlos Barza. And do you feel like this is the most fascinating fight of the card, even more so than the main event? Yes, because it ha actually has title implications. If Cyril Gaon or Sergey Spivak win, they're not fighting for the UFC Heavyweight Championship next. They, if they're probably going to fight a, a Pavlovich or a Tom Aspinall or you know Jailton Almeida or Curtis Blades or something like that. It's, the winner of Man and Faro versus Rose Namunas, especially if they have an impressive performance, are probably going to fight for the UFC Championship next. So in terms of storylines... That's the answer. In terms of popularity, I would imagine Rose is more popular than almost anyone on this card. Cyril Gaon is obviously very popular in France and Europe. Uh, I can't speak on how popular Sergei Spivak is worldwide, especially in Russia. But in terms of MMA fans, I would imagine Rose is the most popular. You know, her, her fights against Ioana and Jacek and Jessica Andrade and Wei Li, like these are three of the greatest feather like women's fighters ever. Um, outside of that Carla fight, which was, in her words, one of the worst performances in the history of MMA, not really in bad fights either. If we're talking BMFs, Rose is right up there uh, for women's uh, combat athletes. So, yeah, this is without question the more intriguing matchup on this card. I'm curious how she looks on the scale. She was never the biggest straw weight. She always she said immediate she said immediately that the weight cut was always hard and it sucked and this and that. Never really 
felt like it was a massive deal for her, but maybe she's just good at hiding it. Um, you know, you didn't work out for Joanna when she moved up to fly away to fight Valentina Shevchenko. So I'm very curious how Rose looks and whether her power that she had at Strawway translates to flyaway, especially against someone like Manon, who has stylistically done very well against bigger opponents. I'm curious how she does against a smaller opponent in Rose. Jed, I, I'm intrigued by this and have been for a while because I talked to Rose, it was probably like October or November of last year, and she had teased this move to 125. She said, you know, here's here's what I want to do. I want to do some grappling matches, maybe some jujitsu tournaments, and then I just want to lift a whole bunch of weights, and then we'll talk about what's next. And then obviously I followed up, and I was like, is this me to move to 125? And she said, you do the math. So we kind of figured this could happen. And when this fight was first confirmed, we were like, oh, this is – didn't really know how to think about it. But now that we're a day and a half away from this fight going down, two days away, what's your take on this move up for Rose and this matchup in particular with Manon Fioro, who's been on a nice run, quietly sort of flying under the radar? Uh, it's certainly the more intriguing fight – the most intriguing fight this weekend because there are like seven questions that I have. Uh, I have no idea what Rose is going to look like at 125. I don't know if this is a good idea. Uh, she has sort of, like you said, laid this plan out, and I'm not sure why. Uh, it's 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 not like she was doing poorly at 115, and it's also not like she was dominant at 115 and needs a new challenge. So it is a very odd, yeah, I, I just want to do this. Okay, Um I guess, sure. Like, you have two wins over the current champion and you're coming off the actual worst fight in modern history. I, this It's just a very weird time to make a weight change. Like, you see that you see weight changes when it's like, I'm too small to compete or I can't make the weight anymore. And to Jose's point, it never felt like... She, like, she, she may have said that it was a struggle. That never seemed to manifest in any tangible ways that, like, I could see. So it's a very odd move up. Manon Fjord's a very interesting opponent in that I don't think she's really good, um, but she keeps winning and she's a hoss. And that, like, that's just going to test Rose right there because the times Rose struggled in her career were when people were just way more physical than her. And now she's going up a weight class. And, like, I tried to d dive into the Instagram. I can't tell if she put 10 pounds of muscle on. She looks exactly the same she always has to me. So, like, I don't know if Manon Fioro can just, like, big sister her. Because I think Manon's, a, like, a, a much worse fighter. But, you know, she just is like, hey, Rose, sit down. I'm going to sit on top of you for the next seven minutes. Like, it's going to happen. So there are a whole lot of questions. I have no idea why Rose is doing this in part because it feels like it, like, because it's a weird move. And then if this fails, what next does she stay at 125 because she put on the weight, but now she's, if she can't beat Manofiero, she can't beat Aaron Blanchfield. She probably can't beat like Valentina. So what, I just have no idea what the hell this is about other than she's probably going to get a title fight if she wins. So Okay. Uh, I don't know what's in her head though. And so it makes me really, really like curious about what the hell's about to, to go down. All right. I mean, I'll pivot to something you just said, Jed, and then I'll get your thoughts on this, Jose, as well. What if Rose does get big sistered in there? What if she loses this fight, Jed? Like, what happens? What do you think? Do you think she does stick around at 125? Do you think she's just like, eh, not really into this anymore? Like a long hiatus? Like, what happens here if she loses this fight? 
it's probably a long hiatus because I don't, I've never known what Rose was into. It, it, I mean, half of her post-fight speeches were like, yeah, I hate fighting and I want to have a farm. Um, and you can do that. You can just go have a farm. Like you don't have to do this. Um, I know that like, I'm sure that there are people in your life that are telling you, but like you just have your farm and that's totally fun. America needs farmers. Like it's great. Uh, so I don't, my guess is a long, like, you know, break at least probably not a retirement but like yeah she won't have a path forward it depends if she really did put on 10 pounds of muscle it's not like she can just go back to straw weight either so i and like let's let's be honest i mean i know there's been a conversation lately about women's flyweight being the best division in the sport and i i'm here here to listen to that as far as like the best women's division but are there like Who's the name of like BMF women's flyweights or like the legend fights in this weight class? So, like, hell yeah, I want to watch Rose Fighter. I Chikagian? Are we like super stoked for Rose Chikagian? No. So I think we're probably, if she loses, she's probably just gonna take some time off and reevaluate again and then come back in two years with some other like very strange outcome, which whatever makes you happy, I guess. But it seems like you'd be happier on your farm. Just go do that. What do you think, Jose? What happens with Rose if she do- comes up short here? I mean, we we love to take chances and challenge ourselves and strive for greatness, and I think she deserves some props and respect for trying that. But what if this this is MMA? This is the UFC. This is a loaded division where there are just hungry contenders all over the place. Strive for what greatness by she- defending a belt, Mike. Defend a belt. Strive for greatness that way. I hate the phrase strive for greatness. It's so ah. Oh. Oh, it's one of my biggest pet peeves, Mike. She she can't defend the belt unless she wins the belt, and she's got to win Saturday to even get a chance to win the belt. Striving for greatness is is defending a belt and making a sacrifice to do so. Going to win a second belt is a glory grab because there's no risk because the expectation is that you lose any any fight in which you are not advantaged because ah oh, you're the smaller dude it is a, it's a low risk super high reward thing striving for greatness is being Alexander Volkanovsky and fighting Ilya Tapuria that's fucking great man ah it's my biggest pet peeve Jose what if Rose loses the glory grab fight on Saturday. Uh, she probably takes time off again and goes and lives on her farm. That's just that's just the answer. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I don't know. Rose, I stopped trying to figure Rose out a long time ago. She's taken these long gaps, even when she was the reigning champion. Like she won the belt. She took a lot of time off, came back, and she's never really been the most active fighter. A lot of – like I, I think Rose is a very talented martial artist, but she's not fought a ton of people. Uh, she's fought in a lot of the same people. Like she's fought Carla twice. She's fought Whaley twice. She's fought Joanna twice. She's fought Jessica Andrade twice. Like the last time something really wasn't a match, like a rematch outside of like the first time she fought these individuals, like she beat Michelle Waterson. And then after that, it's just been rematch, fight, rematch, fight, rematch, fight, rematch. It's, it's, it's like Cain Velasquez. Like he was, he's super talented, but he fought a lot of the same guys until he just didn't. Um, so if she loses, she has, She's shown that she's willing to take time away from the sport when she was the champion. Can't imagine she won't do it if she loses. Maybe she just refigures herself out and needs to find the love again on her farm. Uh, Pat Barry's obviously been a coach to a lot of other fighters. Maybe she goes down that that route, but she you know she has two wins over Wei Lee. If she wants to go back down to straw weight and 
you know, fight somewhere like Whaley again, wouldn't blame her. And I know Tatiana Suarez really wants to fight Rose at some point. So if she wants to run through, get torn through by Tatiana Suarez, she can go do that too. So there are options if she loses, but I would imagine it's at minimum 12 months until we see her again if she loses. We will have a preview show for this card tomorrow at noon Eastern. But uh, two last things about this card real quick. Jed, what is at stake in the main event between Cyril Gaon and Sergey Spivak? Is this, is are they just fighting for the Tommy Aspinall sweepstakes? Is that what this is? I mean, I think that's the most likely outcome. I will disagree on something Jose said earlier. They could be fighting for a title shot. Uh, not against John Jones. John Jones is not going to fight the winner of this. But uh, it seems pretty evident uh based on everything that he is saying that john jones either intends to retire after fighting stipe or uh at the minimum vacating the belt and leaving the sport until something something piques his interest taking an extended time off if that's the case you take you know if Cyril gone wins this he is an interim champion who most recently just fought for the belt and maybe you just do uh you know sergey pavlovich Cyril gone uh, and maybe they let Tommy Aspinall get another win. You know, I, I think that there's a world where he, the winner of this particular Spivak wins, you know, then he's, it's what, four in a row, good quality opposition. You could sell it. So I think the most likely outcome is the winner of this faces uh, Tom Aspinall. But there is also a world where the UFC needs a new title fight and maybe Tom Aspinall faces, faces Sergey. Uh, and then the winner of this gets the jail to Almeida, assuming Almeida can beat Curtis Blade. So uh, the winner of this is either uh, is a dark horse for an interim title shot um, and certainly is one win away from probably a true title shot at that point in time. What do you think, Jose? What's at stake in this main event? Uh, um, I don't think the winner is going to get a title shot right away. I think Sergey Pavlovich is – Assuming John Stipe both retire in this world after Madison Square Garden, I would imagine Sergey Pavlovich is one half of that title fight, especially because according to reports on MMA fighting, he's going to weigh in as a backup for the second fight in a row, second John Jones fight in a row. So I would imagine he's one half of any title fight, whether it's vacant or a, trying to fight Stipe or John or whoever else. In a perfect world where you know John and Stipe both retire, we're probably getting Tom Aspinall versus Sergey Pavlovich for the UFC heavyweight championship of the world where that takes place. I don't know. Um, and then the winner of this fight could be fighting the winner of Jailton Almeida versus Curtis blades for an, an actual number one contender. I am not even, I'm not on the Jailton Almeida hype train. Like you all are. Uh, I think Curtis blades beats Jailton Almeida. Cyril Gaon would be interesting and, you know, Sergey Spivak would be interesting, especially if they go back to Abu Dhabi next year. And from what I remember, the UFC has to give Abu Dhabi two title fights every time. If Sergey Pavlovich, you know, wins the belt, it just – it seems like it would make sense to stick him, especially if it's Spivak, like two rush all Russian heavyweight title fight in Abu Dhabi, cause, especially because they can't go to Russia right now. But yeah, the winner of this is probably one win away from a title shot just because Sergey is one half of that. And I think Tom Aspinall is a step ahead of uh, Cyril Gaon and Spivak considering he beat Spivak. Cyril Gaon just lost his last two title fights he was in. Uh, I don't want to see him fight John Jones again. And and honestly, if Stipe beats John Jones, I would imagine they do the rematch. Like John oh, Stipe. Sure. John Stipe too is the, as the oh, for the UFC. No chance. Fighters. 
No, no chance? chance, really? <clears throat> if Stipe um, beats John and he fights again, he's the dumbest motherfucker who ever lived. Well, <laughs> I, I will I say that to his face. That would be the dumbest fucking idea. You beat John Jones. You everyone knows you don't want to be here anymore. Just leave, homie. Be, like leave. Don't learn the lesson DC should have learned when he knocked your ass out. He should have never come back and fought. That would be exactly the same. He, there's zero chance in my mind that he does that. Not even for the for the cash. There'll yeah. be a lot of it. There'll be a lot of money. That's the only yeah. thing that I think he would stick. He's around a firefighter. For. He's fine. He got a job. He okay. I mean, honestly, firefighters probably make more than UFC heavyweight championships at this point. So you're not wrong there. But I would imagine in this, again, in this world, if Stipe wins, I'm just going to assume they rematch and headline UFC 300 in April. Where that takes place, I don't know. Um, But Cyril Gaon and especially Sergey Spivak are not going to be fighting for the heavyweight championship next. Mike, Mike, bring it in on me or Casey, bring it in on me. That's a message Uh directly to Stipe. Stipe. If you go out here and beat John Jones and now, you know, they might go you and say, Hey, you got to run it back. Or you might look at the money. If it is anything, I mean a penny less than a hundred million dollars. <laughs> you tell them to shove it up their ass and you go out and you, look, I don't, I won't believe it in my heart of hearts. I'll come out and call you the heavyweight goat. Like that's what I'll say. I, it will be a lie and wrong. But you, if you beat this man, you don't fight him again. Why would you possibly do that? Just go out on top. Go out on top. That's my message to Stipe. Last thing. Um, Jed, does this UFC Paris card get a star on the Michelin scale? Oh, God, no. God, no. <laughs> this is the most Bellator-ass UFC card you're ever going to find. Look, there are... Two fights that are like substantive and meaningful. And there are some other matchups that are okay. Uh, the feature fight, the Benoit Saint-Denis, Thiago Moises fight, I, I think is really, really good. Um, and then the rest of this is just locals. Like just, I mean, a bunch of a bunch of people, like a bunch of French fighters who have fought each other on the local like scenes or whatever in Europe. And just in here doing stuff teammates getting reshuffled against different opponents because of fallouts like no this is this is in no way uh, uh this aren't zero stars jose what do you think of this one 11 fights it is daytime mma you like this paris card for the fact that it's daytime and it's super early here in arizona don't hate it it is it has one more interesting fight than UFC 293. I'll put it that way. Ooh, well said. We'll be talking. Uh, we'll be talking about that card next week on the program. But let's let's move on. Uh, Dana White had some things to say on Tuesday about a couple of the bantamweights who just happen to be teammates, much like Jed and Jose, who are teammates as well. The point for round three goes to. I am not a bantamweight. Jose Youngs, it's two to one. Well done. Good stuff. The message to Stipe. I thought I'd great. get the point. I was I was extending an olive branch to Stipe. I thought I I'd know. get the point for that. I mean, I knew what you were trying to do, and I respect it, but just couldn't <laughs> give it to you. Uh, so let's get to this. Dana White spoke with the media after the contender series on Tuesday. He is asked about the Bantamweight division. He's asked about Aljamain Sterling and Rob Welsh Willie, kind of saying Hey, listen, I want this fight, but if 
my buddy and teammate wants this fight more than me, like give it to them and then I'll wait. Marab in particular has been saying, look, I'll wait a year before I fight again, but I'm not going to fight anybody unless it's for the belt. But if Aljamain wants to go first, I will wait a year and then Aljamain get his rematch and then I'll fight after that, which has really pissed Dana White off. Dana's response verbatim, let me read this uh, from MAFighting.com, great website. Everybody in this room and everybody that watches this video knows how I feel about this shit. I hate it. And why did you even get into the sport if that's your mentality in the way that you think? I don't even want the title. I don't want the championship. We're friends. We're this, we're that. This is, this is not, you could be friends with everybody in this business. There's a lot of nice people in this business, a lot of good people. This is not about friendship. It's about finding out who the best in the world is. And if you don't want to find out who the best in the world is, this is not the place for you. You should be somewhere else. There's plenty of places to fight where they don't give a shit what you do. It doesn't work here. Jed, what was your reaction to hearing those words? If you're hearing them for the first time, that Dana White, the president of the UFC, who has, the company who that has thrown meritocracy out the window years and years ago, Talking about these two guys who are close or are teammates and are friends. And I, let me just say this. I don't blame Dana for taking the stance. Like, I, I don't necessarily, like, completely blame him. I understand why he's saying this. But when you heard all of this, what was your reaction to it? And then hearing it again, what's your reaction to it now? I need you, uh, when I'm done, to explain why he's saying this. Because I, outside of, you know, him just being him, I don't get it. Like... I I agree that with the the core pre premise that uh, it's real dumb from Rob to just hamstring his own career uh, out of the friendship that he has for 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 Aljo, particularly given the circumstances where Aljo's not going to get another title fight. So why are we pretending like this is real? And he had his time. Like, like he he had his time. He was the champion. It was great. He had already talked about moving up. This is about as clean of a break as possible, and we know that the best case scenario is is a zero percent to happen. So why are we living in a world where we're giving that any any air whatsoever? I'll just never fight O'Malley again. It's just never going to happen, and we all know it, and that's okay to admit. So I agree that it's pretty dumb in, in that regard. I don't understand why Dana is mad or cares about it. It. That doesn't make any sense to me at all because why? Also, it's like a, just an abject lie uh, about the like, this is the place where we find out who the best in the world are. Like that's not the – you're treating that as if that's the primary driver of, of your fight promotion and it's very clearly not. And again, I'm not even blaming you for that. You a business, you're trying to get money. I'm okay with all of these things. We don't have to stand on ceremony and just lie because we are mad because this makes us feel some type of way. And I don't understand it. Like to me, the only reason Dana is mad is because this fly, like this is even the most minute amount of, of self-servingness and just not a, an unwillingness to adhere to the dogma that he preaches, which is dumb. Like who give? like, why, why does he give a shit? His response could just as easy be like, okay, like, I think that's dumb, but like, I guess you're going to fight Cejudo or Umar or whatever. Like if you just want to sit and wait, I don't agree. But like you don't have to be like, this is, this is awful. He sucks. Why is he even a fighter? We shouldn't have signed him. Like why? Like this is just another example of Dana not being a good promoter. Um, 
But, you know, I'm far from surprised at this. It's just a little sad always that this is this happens regularly. Right. And, and that's what I mean by I get where he's coming from because – like I think Dana's kind of taken the same stance as Sean O'Malley has when it comes to Aljamain Sterling, where it's just like, hey, you want to rematch Aljo? And Sean O'Malley's answer was, didn't he say he's going to 45? Next question, please. Like, he's just yeah. taking what Aljo said and was like, well, you said you were leaving, well, so go leave. You know what I mean? why be mad about Marab? Does, does Dana really want Marab to fight Aljo? Or, I'm sorry, Sterling? Uh, Jesus Christ, I can't. Does he really want O'Malley to fight Marab? No. It's probably an awful fight for O'Malley. And is Marab a star? Like, I I don't know what we're mad about. <laughs> I just don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, I he's asked the question. He's just giving his, his response. And trust me when I tell you, I'm not defending Dana White here at all. Because there's things that I understand he says. And then at the other side of you know, you should be somewhere else. If you don't want to be the best in the world, go fight somewhere else. That's not what they're doing here. And Marab's manager came out and basically said like, okay, Dana, you want to just figure out who the best in the world is. Marab should be fighting for the belts because he is in my, he is right now the number one guy. He has done enough to earn a title shot. So if you really want this to be about being the best in the world, then Marab should get the title shot. But now it's just a whole, he said, she said it, a back and forth. So it is kind of weird, but I do understand. It's a good answer from Marab's people. Yeah, but we obviously know that that's probably not going to happen because we knew where this is all going to go, Jose. We know it's going to be Sean O'Malley versus Cheeto Vera 2. Huge fight at Bantamweight. But when you saw all of this, how did you react to it? Literally zero <laughs> reaction. I have the same reaction as if someone said, hey, I tied my shoes. Like assumed you could and assumed dana would have this reaction like i just jaded maybe that's the phrase like dana has said far worse things about fighters and he's thrown fighters further under the bus in fact sometimes he's driving the bus that hits the fighter so i don't know i didn't really have an opinion because it's just par for the course at this point i i mean i disagree with it but i just i'm we're gonna you're gonna ask this same question about another fighter in like six months you know if that does that make sense like i get what he's saying but i also don't agree with it like agree with what jet said like yeah like alderman said he was gonna go up to featherweight so you're holding him to that i get it i still think he should get the the rematch jo jose aldo should have got the rematch against connor stipe miocic should have got the third fight against francis these things just don't happen so i've stopped asking for them like i stopped hoping that these things happen so the second algermain lost i was backstage with like you know oscar willis and danny segura and, and and nolan king we were kind of all talking and we were like yeah algermain's never going to get this rematch right and everyone's like hell no he's never going to get this rematch and we all agreed like marab's not going to fight Al o'malley either right like o'malley's going to fight cheeto maybe maybe and then cejudo maybe like he's never gonna fight Marab. He's gonna do like a Connor thing where he wins the belt and then maybe fights once a year if he ever does. So the second uh, uh, Sean O'Malley won, he's like, "Oh, I'm. This is gonna be how it is till I'm 35, or whatever." I'm like, "I don't know about that because you called Corey Sanhagen boring, and Corey Sanhagen is not a boring fighter. So that fight too, I want to see that fight. Probably not gonna happen either. So I just par for the course for." You give these fighters all this power and then it blows up in your face. He's probably never going to defend the title. 
I have zero opinion because you're the same thing is going to happen six months from now with a totally different fighter. If you are handling the careers of these gentlemen, Jed, and I see that look on your face, what are you telling these guys right now? Because both guys deserve to fight Sean O'Malley, but this isn't the world we live in. So what do you say to Marab or Aljo? Do you say stay the course and maybe you get lucky and maybe risk the chance of really pissing off everybody? Or do we just kind of change course and accept reality and the modern times of what the UFC is? Like, what do you think if you're on a conference call with these guys right now, they're like, Jed, you're Mr. No Gray Area. What should we do here? What, what should our next tweets be? What should we say in our next interviews? What are you telling these guys? Look, I'm a straight shooter, Mike. I'm known for it. And I would, I would look Aljo in his eyes and I would say, what you should do is get a time machine and not throw your face onto O'Malley's right hand because <sighs> that, that's the only, it's the only good outcome for you. There are, no, there are no wins now. Losing that fight in that manner boned you. Like there is the best hope you have is to go up to featherweight. And that's saying a lot because I don't think you have a snowball's chance in hell up at featherweight of making a legitimate title run. But you are the only way you're getting a bantamweight belt again is if you wait it out and hope that Cheeto beats O'Malley. Like that's it. And I think Cheeto's a really good shot at beating O'Malley. I do think that fight will happen. And then maybe you can parlay that in, but I don't care that you're a former champion. You are deep in the line of contenders and you are not in the line of contenders so long as Sean O'Malley is holding the belt. If he is the king of the division, you are out on your ass and waiting forever. So go to 145. You've talked about it already. Just do it. Commit to it and maybe maybe something can happen. And Marab, you need to fight Henry Cejudo first because if you don't, Henry Cejudo is going to jump you in line. Cheeto's going to get the next title fight. It's probably going to happen in New York, right? Um, maybe not. Maybe it happens later. But Cheeto's going to get the first title shot, and that's fine. You need to be the guy who is undeniable as the next viable contender. Because if not, Cejudo, he will fight Cejudo over you. Bigger name, better better matchup. Like you're you're just not going to do it. So if I'm Marab, hey, man, you got to try and fight Cejudo as hard as you possibly can. And if I'm talking to Aljo, dude, just give up. Like, you shouldn't have lost, homie. You should not have lost, and I don't have any good outcomes for you now. Jose, your thoughts on this? What should these guys do now? I mean, if I'm a – I mean, I want the rematch. Aljamain deserves – anytime someone has the record for most title defenses, I know Jed doesn't agree with immediate rematches. I don't, I don't, you, I am more often than not on the same. I agree with that more often than not, unless it's, you know, a Jose Aldo, a, a John Jones type situation where you're kind of in that pantheon of, of God level MMA. I'm not saying Aljamain is there yet, but I do think he would deserve the rematch. Cheeto could fight someone else. Marav can fight Cejudo. And then if, Algermain loses he can definitely go to featherweight if he wins he can definitely go to featherweight whatever but that's not going to happen uh, I would just I would tell Algermain to just go up to featherweight because you ain't going to get that rematch ever and then just clear the way from Marab that's just what I I would say um, yeah he want he's how many times has he's talked about that weight cut being just awful on his body 
if it's truly that bad and we've all seen the the photos that looks like his body weight body fat is like in single digits that is not sustainable for your career especially as you get older and just naturally bigger as you get older just go to featherweight man try for a second belt alex Pereira did it you can do it clear the way for your best buddy marab who should probably fight henry cejudo next and not sit on the shelf uh, I can't imagine that fight against Jose Aldo also did Marab any favors whatsoever. Dana probably remembers that fight. I don't think he wants 25 minutes of Marab just holding Sean O'Malley against the fence. So go fight Henry Cejudo. You beat Henry. There's really no argument that you should get the next title shot. Do not fight Umar Nurmagomedov because that would just be a very poor business decision. Uh, and then we can all wait for Corey Sanhagen to come back and win the title. That's what I'll say. I kind of feel like if Al just stays at 135, they're going to throw him in there with Umar. And that ain't sure. fun. Look, one of them, it, it's it's either Aljo. <laughs> at this point, it is either Aljo or Marab going to have to fight that one. So pick, flip a coin between the two friends, whoever wants that ass whooped. That's, well, I mean, that's if, your if, choices if Umar and Corey, If Umar and Corey Sandhagen are both hurt, I would imagine they just rebook that fight when they're healthy. Yeah, maybe. Uh, it just depends on how long on, is Umar hurt for though? Because Corey's out for like till summer. Corey's out. Yeah, Corey probably ain't fighting until like July, August, September of next year at the earliest. Which is why I don't feel like the result in Boston didn't really hurt him too much. A lot of people up, felt like this, this broke pretty well for him. Yeah, it broke really. If he wasn't bad hurt. If he if it, if he wasn't hurt, it would have screwed him. But this broke well for him. I completely agree. Uh, all right. Well, let's move on. Perhaps point for round four goes to I mean, much like Aaron Blanchfield, just grinding it through. Jed Mishu ties it up two to two. Just keep putting the chin out there, and if they can't knock you out, it doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the knockout round. There, there are multiple ways we could have gone with this, but I figured let's let's have a little fun. Let's have a little fun with this last one. Uh, something has gone down this week that have got gotten people pretty excited. Uh, so we're gonna talk about it right here for this knockout round. Each of these wonderful colleagues of mine are gonna get one minute to respond to said question, uh, and then the peeps can vote. You can vote in the chat right now on who you think wins between Jed Mishu and Jose Young. So Jed. Do you want to go first or do you want to pass it on over to Jose? Let's do it. Let's go first. Why not? YOLO. All right. Well, <laughs> God, we talked about the oh Korean zombie and what he, he has meant and what this last performance meant to the MMA community. And in fact, this performance and what this man accomplished and the, the farewell gave one man some goosebumps gave one man some thoughts about possibly wanting to make the walk one final time. His name is Paul Felder. Paul Felder coming out and saying, zombie, as I said, zombie, you got me excited to do this one more time. Apparently, Paul Felder, from what I'm told, is going to get back into training a little bit. He's going to give it a few weeks. If he feels good after this few weeks, he's going to try to do this damn thing one more time. So, Jed, my question, very simple. Paul Felder has had some bangers, some great fights. He could do it at 55. He could do it at 70. So you are the matchmaker here. One last walk. Paul Felder calls you up and says, Jed, I'm ready to go. Book me one last fight. Book me this final one. Who's it going to be and why? One minute on the clock. 
Go. I'm so glad I went first. This is the easiest answer of all time. I small critique of Paul Felder. Don't even feel it out. Just say, yeah, I'm coming back because there's a dude at lightweight who we don't know what to do with right now, who recently either this week or last week was like, I want to fight before the year is over again. His name is Dustin Poirier. And I don't know if I need to sell this beyond Dustin Poirier and Paul Felder will fist fight each other. I feel like I don't feel like anybody who knows who those two dudes are like, yes, please sign me up for that co-main event on a pay-per-view. I'm absolutely in main event on a pay-per-view. I'd still buy the damn pay-per-view. So you don't need to feel this out. Just say yes. Come back for one fight with Dustin Poirier. Poirier didn't have anybody to fight right now because of how the BMF thing went. Fight will be absolute bangers. Both respect each other. It'll be sick. Like, why? If there's another answer, I don't know what it is. So good luck, Jose. I mean, I, I think there's lots of answers here. There's lots of ideas, lots of options. And while Poirier would be great, I feel like there's potentially bigger fish to fry for Dustin Poirier. If he wants to hang out and hold out hope, maybe he gets an Nate Diaz fight. I'm sure he would take that over the Paul Felder fight, but still a great idea. Uh, Jose, you you now take over the matchmaking chair here. Paul Felder maybe wants to do this one more time. Uh, we've heard him say this before, kind of teeter-totters on this, as often fighters do, but uh, I feel like this could be real, that he may want to do this one more time. So, What's the matchup here? You can book Paul Felder's final UFC walk. Who are we doing here? One minute, go. Well, it's not Dustin Poirier because that is a stupid answer because it is never <laughs> going to happen. And the only thing that Jed should regret more than answering Dustin Poirier is saying the phrase YOLO in 2023 <laughs> because that is also a stupid thing to say. It's right up there with have, having the dog in him. Uh, I'm still wary on if Paul Felder does come back because, you know, he was training for, you know, triathlons and marathons and all that stuff. And then he hurt his hip. So if you hurt your hip, probably don't fight MMA. I think he's just kind of trying to fill the void that now that the triathlon training is out. So the actual answer is another lightweight that we don't know what to do with him because he is a future Hall of Famer who's lost a bunch of fights in a row. And that's Tony Ferguson because they're both veterans. If he beats Tony Ferguson, Tony Ferguson should just retire. And if Tony Ferguson beats Paul Felder, then Paul Felder doesn't lose anything because he can just go back into retirement. I think that's the fight. It's not Dustin Poirier because Dustin Poirier needs to fight RDA because they've never fought before. Jed, your response to Jose just name calling here. Wasn't ready for the for the little heel turn here. I'm fine with the name calling. Uh, <laughs> I look. I I find it amusing that for years I have been the biggest hater of Tony Ferguson, and I'm the only motherfucker who doesn't want to see him get this life beat out of him because y'all are all trying to match him up with people who are gonna kill him constantly. I'm like, no, not me. Couldn't be me. Paul Felder, three years off the couch, going to beat the soul out of Tony Ferguson. And I don't need that on my conscience. I stand by it. Fair. Fair. All right. Well, cash your votes. Cash your votes. Jim Miller's a good idea for that fight. Nah. Why not? For 300? Do that one for 300? Who's nah. going to complain about that one? Jim, Jim Miller, Bobby Green, UFC 300. They've been talking about it forever. Paul Felder, Bobby Green would be pretty fun too. There's lots of, there's lots of ways we can go with this. I feel there's like Bobby Green is trying to, you know, 
have a trajectory towards the top 10 and i don't i think paul felder should fight someone in the quote-unquote mma masters domain that the fictional division at lightweight yeah. Do you like Dustin Poirier, who's a fake top ten because he ain't never gonna he ain't never gonna fight any of the up and comers in this weight class. He just nope. ain't never gonna do it. Do you like the idea of Paul Felder versus Max Holloway at one fifty five? Uh, is that gonna be bad? Come on, like you just yeah. look. Paul I mean, Felder's just the dude you can fair, put in there against anybody. It's fine. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna watch Paul Felder fight anybody. I'm just being realistic. Like none of the fights that we want to see will probably happen because none of these guys will take. Like Paul Felder will take that fight, but I don't think Dustin or Max will take that fight. Just don't do. Just don't throw him in there with like Fazeev or Sarukian or anybody. Okay, like yeah, that for the love of God. I don't think Felder would even take God. those fights. Yeah, don't even. Yeah, that that doesn't need to happen. Does not need to happen. Oh my god, I had a better. Oh my god, he should fight. What MVP is it? A, what, he should fight MVP at welterweight. Oh, he right. wanted to fight. He wanted. To, he he threw his hat in to welcome Chandler to the UFC. Why not just you know welcome the other Bellator free agent? I love how Shafkat threw his name in, into that hat. Oh, as well. and you would be god, shocked that's at a how much murder. You you would be shocked at how many people in our social media were like, book it. I love this fight. Whatever. Why? People. Uh, I don't. See I mean, because he wants someone in the top five, and he's not. Shamayev at is out of the top five at welterweight. Definitely not fighting Bilal. Definitely not fighting Usman. And Gilbert wants to fight Dustin. So Shavkat's literally just the next man up. And I am. Well, I will die on this hill that Stephen Thompson versus MVP would be so boring be such a boring fight so that's that just fight. my Didn't they train happy. together too yeah they're buds yeah they're really good friends and yes i actually don't suck. i actually don't hate the shaft cat fight like i mean if, I would if you want to be Shafkat top five you're anybody. gonna have, you're gonna you're gonna have to fight these guys at some point and might yeah. as well just fight these guys now i feel like they're just gonna rebook shaft and gasolum for like later on this year it's definitely what's gonna fine. happen it's really dumb like you should you don't like do that Shafkat. idea it's fine. Um, I think it's uh, – I don't uh, – it's whatever to me. I don't care about Kelvin Gastelum until he wins a meaningful fight in this weight class right. because I'm not certain he's going to make weight. And I, he, he hasn't won a lot of meaningful fights convincingly in his entire career basically. So I like he's, that fight. He has because- the biggest gap of name, like name recognition versus actual like – performances i think maybe in the entire sport well casey's here making us all feel bad are y'all into the, the burns poirier dis- like I, that fight has no, no interest for me not really care okay, no chance yeah, that fight fight. good i guess i'd watch rda i just don't really care about that fight either i just i'd I watch that believe, one too but i can't believe dustin poirier and rafael dos Anjos have never fought and I mean, that's fair. The five, they're two of the five greatest UFC lightweights ever. So I just F it. Fight now. That's interesting. Whatever weight class. Uh, I just want to see him they fight. Two of the five greatest lightweights ever. RDA? Top five? Lightweight ever? I'd say so. I'm not sure Poirier is either. Lightweight is like an impossible division, right? Like, I think so it's many of them. probably Habib, Habib, Tony, BJ, Benson have to, BJ, BJ have to all be there. BJ, 
So I, I have to have here. Habib, Tony, BJ, Benson. Those four have to be in my Benson? Oh, Benson's in your top five, huh? Hmm. He's got to yeah. be. I think we when we did the dam on Benson, you I really appreciated his career a lot more. Oh, yeah. When you went back and looked I at do. it and were like, oh, I'm just, he's just way I'm better not, than I remember. I'm also just kind of talking about UFC lightweights. Like, to me, Benson is a WEC Bellator lightweight. He's been, he's been in the Bellator longer than he was in UFC. I know, which um, was very odd. Yeah. Um, Super weird. It was a very odd fact when we got into that, too. Very, very D- weird. Dustin and RDA hold a lot of records at lightweight. Yeah. Casey? I think the argument is for it. I'm just not sure. Yeah. Oh. Hey, man, hey, we don't know who would oh, win a fight between I'm sorry. Oh. We're all dicks, oh, and somebody in the comments is screaming about Charles Oliveira right now. Yeah. And Charles they're absolutely correct. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Those people yeah. are absolutely correct. Charles is yeah. arguably yeah. top three. Yes. I think that's very real. Yeah. Top two. If he, at worst. If he somehow beats Islam, good Lord. Good Lord. If he beats Islam, uh, it gets interesting. It gets mm-hmm. real interesting. Mm-hmm. Casey, who wins? Oh. Is this uh is this clear cut or do we need to play catch up here? Let let the votes fly in a little bit more. Uh, we have a winner. Okay. <laughs> uh, who is it? Who is it? <laughs> Your winner today with sixty percent of the fan votes is I wonder. <laughs> Uh, and still, Chet Bashu. Shocking. <laughs> Your I name is Brian Campbell. I cannot be defeated. I, for Man. one, am just flabbergasted that Chet Bashu <laughs> won. Be a VFM. <laughs> Oh, yeah. man. Uh, if if it's not BC or Drake Riggs, I'm going to win the fan vote. I feel good did you ever beat Phoenix? No, no one's ever beaten Phoenix. Phoenix can't be defeated. I had uh, I had dinner with her in in uh, New York when I was up there. She said good she's con- she's you know she's in the Paul Felder thing where she's contemplating a comeback to BTL. I will say I, mean, uh, I have also had similar conversations and. Stay tuned for that, is all I will say. Look, Phoenix versus BC, who two unstoppable forces, who can win? That would be something else. That would be something else. I think there's going to have to be like a grand affair if we have both of them on at the same time, or it's going to have to be like the style before we went to MMA fighting where we have four people and then oh, around the horn style. Who's kinder? Yeah, we start Joe. eliminating people. Maybe you you're kinder that? Joe. I think that's you. I'm not sure. I think that's, I think I think I think people are calling you kinder Joe now. What does that mean? Huh, right. I have never been called kind in my entire life. Or Joe, for that matter. <laughs> I was saying, have you ever been called Joe? Uh, <laughs> usually, old white men that can't contemplate that my name is Jose call me Joe. How? I've, heard, How is Joe, I've heard Joe. I've Jose's. not heard Joe. I've heard Jose many times. Yeah, Jose is because now. people in England can't say Jose for whatever reason. It <laughs> takes them a long time. But people be like, what's up, Joe? I'm like, not my name. That's not my name. But <laughs> usually old white men. It's a nickname. Yes, it is. All right, Casey, hit the music. We are done. Uh, preview show for UFC Paris. Manana, noon Eastern. I believe it is AK and Jen Mishu. Maybe maybe a Mishulin star will appear 
It is not. It is apparently I'm, Jose. I'm definitely not on that tomorrow. Oh. All right, Jose and AK. My apologies. And then uh, we'll have a people's pre-fight show, noon Eastern on Saturday, to get you ready for UFC Paris, because the thing starts at 12.30. Uh, we'll post-fight show, on to the next one. And then we're on the road to UFC 293, everybody. Jose will be logging some miles, and we'll get you ready for Adesanya for Strickland. For Jed, for Jose, for Casey, I am Mike Hack, the iconic boy special. We'll take you home. Good night, everybody. This Love has y'all. been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Support for this podcast came from SAS. Data is everything. And now everything is data, which means more to process, more to analyze. And now more than ever, speed to answers matters. So how do you produce those answers as fast as the world produces data? With SAS Via, the quickest way from a billion points of data to a point of view. It's a more productive data and AI platform that helps you get more done. Learn more today at sas.com slash V-I-Y-A. Here's the truth about AI. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow puts AI to work for people across your business, removing friction and frustration for your employees, supercharging productivity for your developers, providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people.